Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today on the show, I'm answering your questions about bisexuality and what to do if you find your kid masturbating. But I'm doing it a little differently because I get some help answering your questions with the one and only Levi Hildebrand. I also interview Levi about his thoughts on the whole bi-wife energy trend, what assumptions people have made about being in a relationship with a bisexual person, and how he would really feel if we were to introduce another man into our relationship. All of that and more coming up in our interview, but first, today in sex. Now over this past weekend, Levi and I went to the Hump Film Festival. If you have not heard of Hump, it is what Dan Savage likes to call his dirty little film festival that he has been running for quite a few years. It's described as an indie erotic film festival for every body. It was an amazing experience to a not only be on a Zoom call with Dan Savage, I swooned a little bit, but to also be able to watch this beautiful porn made by real people for real people. That is their main tagline. And the whole point is to include as many different ages and bodies, genders, races, kinks, like you name it, it was a part of this festival. Now, while we were watching the Hump Film Festival, Levi and I were actually putting together desks for our office. So it was actually really quite fun to like have a task while we were watching this erotica. And it made us reflect on the fact that it is real people quite often just pointing a webcam or their phones at themselves and creating the kind of porn that they want to see in the world. One of them was a comedy of these three women talking about their centaur fetish. And I'm sure that is a legit and real fetish. But it was so funny them imagining all of these like wildly magical experiences that they were going to have with a centaur. And it was followed up with these like little plasticine models of what that would actually look like in their sexual encounter. Yes, it was very sexually explicit, but when it's a plasticine model doing that, it's pretty hysterical. The whole festival rounded off with one of their favorites. This was the best of the best, and Dan Savage loves this one in particular. And it is a musical of this guy who loves to be peed on. So it's him waiting around at this kink club, and he is just waiting for somebody to offer to pee on him. I like to say there's a bit of a happy ending, and it was just a hilarious way to spend a Saturday night drinking beer, building furniture, and watching a few erotica films. If you are interested in checking out Hump, uh, please feel free. I've left it in the episode description. And this, this is a great way to support people who are just creating beautiful art that is outside of the things that you'll see on Pornhub. If you haven't already checked it out, I have a great conversation about porn, the difference between what we find on Pornhub and ethical porn, porn that we should actually be paying for that respects performers. I have a great interview with Ali Oops. So if you haven't checked out that episode yet, please check it out now. We have such a fascinating conversation and I learned so much about the porn industry, the good, the bad, the ugly. Now, before I get into my interview with Levi and all of the great questions that we answer, thank you for sending those in. If you have a question for the podcast, take a voice recording on your phone and then send it to the email at thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you also follow me on Instagram at dr.leatidy, please feel free to send me a voice message through there, and that is a great way to have your voice heard on this podcast. It's totally anonymous, but it's way nicer to hear your voice asking your questions. So before we get into the interview, I just want to share two quick reviews that people have had about the podcast itself and hopefully the impact that we're able to have by having these open conversations about sexuality. This is from someone named Gabby. They said, a nice comment for Leah. Your podcast has made me feel way less guilty about my sexuality and sexual health in general. So thank you. Thank you so much, Gabby. That means a lot that you have been getting something from this podcast and that it has helped you in your own sexual journey. I'm going to share one more brief review, then we'll get to the interview. Dear Leah, I've been listening to your podcast for about eight months now, and I've been meaning to write you a review to tell you how great I think the work that you do is. All of your episodes seem incredibly well-researched and give insight into a lot of topics I've never been thinking about. I used to be a bit ignorant about people of other identities and orientations and the norms that we typically have here in Europe. When I first heard about someone being polyamorous, I thought it was very strange and not normal. I feel kind of ashamed to admit this, but I'm very glad that I found your podcast and it challenges my ideas of what I used to consider normal in quotation marks. This last part really got me. Personally, I identify as a cisgender woman and I used to think that I was straight since I was interested in men. But watching a Netflix movie called Alex Strangelove a couple of years ago, I realized that I never really thought about who I am attracted to and I actually started to do that. I thought about being bisexual for quite some time, and after listening to your episode on the topic, it really helped me think about more deeply and challenge my thoughts and beliefs even more. This actually led to me identifying as bisexual now. I haven't really told a lot of people about that, but I'm glad that I know that about myself. So basically, I just want to thank you for the credible resources you provide and tell you that I really love your podcast and the work that you do. Thank you so much, fellow bisexual person. Uh, it's not that we have a queer agenda and we want to make more people bisexual, but the more that people are honest about who they are in the world and they can declare it to people, they can say, hey, I'm bisexual, I'm queer, whatever that is for you, that is a great day. So I'm so glad for you and thank you so much for sending that review to me. And now let's lead in with a bit of music into my interview with Levi. Well, to be honest, I'm a hetero guy, but I really try to be a good ally. And it ain't no secret, let me tell you why. It's because I love my wife, and my wife is bi. My wife energy. Yes, my wife energy. My wife energy. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Number two, <laughs> second time round. <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to lie. This is your third time being on the podcast. You don't even remember the very first episode of the Love Doctor podcast. We're almost at a year now, folks. That came out in June. I asked you what it was like to be in a lockdown with your significant other, what that was like. I interviewed you again in October. We talked about what's it being like really to be married to a YouTuber and for us to like work full time together. Mm. So those are more like around us like working together. And now it's been over a full year working together very closely at home. Let's briefly start there before we get into the bi-wife energy thing. How has that been for you, that trajectory of working so closely with your intimate partner? I think working with your significant other is a challenge because you have to both combine your intimate relationship and your professional relationship simultaneously. And for me, that's two very different parts of my brain. 
<laughs> like I come to you for comfort. Like you're my sort of relief from work. Mm-hmm. Like I will work endlessly if you're not here. If Which you... you absolutely do. If I leave you for a night or two, like I know that probably you're not going to have dinner until like eight and then just like pass out at like 11. Yeah. And I eat the Annie's out of the pot. Like I'm <laughs> a mess uh, when it comes to work life balance when you're not there. So yeah, on one hand, you are kind of like my guiding force uh, for work life balance. But, um, you know, more and more we're our work is together. We do stuff mm-hmm. together. And that's that's great because you make everything better, but it's harder because, you know, then we're always doing the same thing, you know? That's true. So that's been a really interesting trajectory for you for the channel as well. Like with your YouTube channel, we've been having big chats about how it's kind of transitioning into our lifestyle. So it's more about us, but that also means we have to share more of our intimate relationship online, right? And so I, I always have a hard time trying to figure out like, how much of that do we share? How much do people actually need to know? And I know when we did our assumptions video, a lot of people had assumptions about what it's being like to be married to someone who's bisexual. So what were some of those questions that you got from people when when that came up in the assumptions video? I think a lot of people are apprehensive or they doubt the bi uh, community or the bi presence. I know it's called bi invisibility, right? Yeah, bi invisibility, bi erasure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think there's like a lot of skepticism about it actually being a real thing. Um, and those people don't send the messages. The, the people who do send the messages are the ones that are concerned about it. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, a, a couple of messages from men in relationships with bi women and their kind of insecurity about this new development or possibly an old development that has kind of come to the surface and new because they've watched a video of ours where we talk about this. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that it's just a matter of not knowing um, something that's kind of written in our social code. Mm, Well, it's written in our sexual scripts, right? That Mm. you are, and folks have heard me talk about this in the podcast before, about we're really, we're given a really uh, strict model on what relationships should look like, and then sexually what that should look like as well. So when you disrupt that model and you say, oh, we're going to be in a monogamous relationship, but my partner is bisexual, people feel that there's a dissonance or a discord there and, and they don't know how to feel comfortable or safe like does that sound like a fair representation of the questions that you were getting from the, yeah. the different men I, I think like the the men in the, the this instance were like worried because they know how to be insecure in a monogamous straight relationship <laughs> because you know the fears have already been outlined it's like okay well your wife could cheat on you with another man uh, you know, or you could fall in love with another woman. Those are the the perils that you might experience in this relationship. And as soon as you introduce yet another potential hazard, uh, people who are in a insecure relationship will only feel more insecure in that. Right. I think if you are comfortable and secure in what you do and, and your relationship with that person then the bisexuality lens doesn't really change anything. 
Mm -hmm. So it's more about your uh, relationship styles because there are secure lovers, insecure lovers, preoccupied lovers, all sorts of different Mm. things like that. And that's... What what are those? So this is a whole thing about how when we're raised, um, we realize what kind of like our formative relationships with basically the people who raise us, like our parents or guardians or whatever the quality of those relationships have a really big impact on the quality of our romantic relationships Mm. later on in life. That makes sense. Yeah. So if you're feeling really insecure in your relationship with the people who raised you, um, then quite often you will become an insecure lover because you don't know what a secure relationship looks like and feels like. Whoa, okay. Now this just makes so much sense though because you come from a family where your mom and dad are still together to this day. Yeah, like I also, almost 36 years. Yeah, yeah, and the same with my parents. Like, we both come from secure, stable, mm-hmm. very consistent parenthood. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I guess that that's sort of... I mean, not, not saying that we're going to be together forever, for sure. You know, we, we never know. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it's, it's interesting that we've both found each other. And that is our collective shared past. Absolutely. But you know what's interesting as well, though? It's not like, you know, 50% of marriages, they end in divorce. I don't want that for our marriage, like, obviously. Um, But even for, you know, kids who are raised and their parents are divorced, it doesn't mean that they're automatically going to become insecure or preoccupied lovers. They Mm. can be absolutely secure lovers. It's about the quality of the relationship with the parent. Regardless if the parents, guardians, whichever, are together or not, it's do you have a loving relationship one-on-one with them? Right. Right. So it's, I think a lot of people will get into that trope of like, oh, you have divorced parents. And so you're doomed to repeat that. Right. But it's no matter what, it's, are you like the people that you're raising in your life? Are you constantly showing them that they're safe with you, that, you know, that they can trust you and that it's a reciprocal relationship. And so I think when it comes to having a partner who's bisexual, um, quite often that kind of disrupts what we think of as being secure because Mm. if you're walking through the world thinking well they could be attracted to everyone right you know which is not really how attraction works anyway (laughs) but you know it's not like we're walking down the street and i'm like yep yep hot yes i would absolutely but i think it calls into question you're like oh well i only had to be insecure about this section of the population and now i have to be insecure about a whole other section of the population so Hmm. Talk to me a bit about, like, when I first told you that I was bisexual, I don't know, do you remember any of those fears coming up? Or what what was that like? I don't think I had any real serious anxiety about your bisexuality until we had a partner that we Mm. were, you know, in a relationship with. And because I, I think that, I don't know. I I trust you and and that was pretty obvious for me from the beginning. There was there was very few moments, there have been very few moments where I've been like genuinely concerned about your behavior in relation to our rela- uh, relationship and how that was going to go in the future. Like that's never really been a concern of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's because I'm just like insanely confident or <laughs> maybe it's because you're insanely trustworthy. Um, probably a combination of the two. Um, but <laughs> but I, I think that, that that step for me when I felt insecure in our relationship with uh, 
our previous girlfriend was the idea that I was going to lose the companionship. Hmm. I know that you and I are going to be together forever in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open to that looking differently in different ways with different people potentially. But there was a there was a real pang of of fear for me when I saw you with her in a way that I felt was exclusive to me. Mm. And that wasn't sexual. That mm. was emotional. That was her sort of leaning on you in the way that I lean on you, which mm. is you're a very loving person. You give tremendous amounts of your energy and your character to support the people around you. Mm-hmm. And I've been very defensive of that in the past. And this was something that we were both collectively agreeing to do. And then I saw it very obviously as like a threat suddenly in that mm-hmm. moment of like, but if you are taking care of her and you're spending time and energy with her, then what? Where? when do I get that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what I need. And that's why I married you is because I really love that part of you. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and I think that that's probably more common than you think. I, I think a lot of people, it's not about the sex. The, mm-hmm. the sex is a symbol for the intimacy that you feel with that person and the security that that person gives you. Yeah. You know, you touch on something really important there when it comes to, you know, being in romantic or sexual relationships. And quite often when you hear of, you know, like a man and a woman who are dating and the woman is bisexual um, and the guy being really excited, you're like, oh, well, this is like super hot. Like, am I going to like fulfill some sort of threesome fantasy? And it's kind of like that performative female sexuality, which we know, like it's so ingrained in, in our culture and things. And it also positions as um, romantic or sexual relationships between two women is not seen as a threat because it's it's performative. It's ultimately... Mm for the male gaze is for that person's enjoyment. But then when that emotional intimacy, and this is not the perspective that you were coming from, but I can definitely see that it's hard when your partner in many different aspects of your life, like not only your sexual partner, but your emotional, intimate, companionate partner throughout your life, you see that intimacy with another person and it makes it feel more real. And that's what becomes more threatening about it. Yeah, I think that that's what we've discovered in general in our you know, exploration of non-monogamy has been that emotional piece Mm -hmm. because I think we like the idea of exploring things sexually with other people, but it's never that simple. Oh, never. It's it's never that simple. And, uh, you know, we have, we have been the, the partners with the performative, uh, person who comes in and is like, wow, this is going to be this like super sexy thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be this sexy girl. Yeah, show and this... off for you. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. it was just weird. And I didn't like it. Well, we, it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't want them to feel like that's what they need to do for us. Like they're yeah. performing. And that was the thing. And it wasn't like a, a, it didn't feel like an authentic expression of their sexuality. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I'm the like, hot third that's going to be with this couple and we're like yeah. oh oh no this isn't what we wanted at all like you don't feel empowered in what you're 
putting out there right yeah yeah it's it's an honesty thing and it mm -hmm. comes back to that trust thing like if it, you that and that was the difference for me like when we were with that individual i was like oh this is weird because you're not intimate with mm. us and we are intimate together and so your awkwardness kind of just interferes with the the, the interactions that we normally have so the whole mm. thing's kind of out of whack yeah you're like <laughs> hyper aware of everything yeah but not in a way that's like super sexy like when you're having like a sexual experience with someone for the first time right it's that hyper awareness you're like Oh, like you're so aware of any part of your bodies touching each other. Mm -hmm. right? You're just very vulnerable. Yeah. And that's what's so enticing about it. Absolutely. And, and this was like almost a removal of that. And and yeah. so that was the one side of the coin. And then there was the flip opposite, which was like feeling feelings for another person that you're intimate with. But then like kind of having to negotiate that with the reality that were in a relationship and another person will probably never kind of be in that in the way that we have the equitable stake that we do yeah well and that's what a lot of people will let's okay i have two things that i want to get down <laughs> so many important good things you brought up there okay first thing a lot of people will conflate bisexuality with like polyamory or consensual non-monogamy, mm -hmm. ethical non-monogamy. Folks, we've talked about it in Polyamory 101 with Cassandra Heap. Please go check that out. Uh, but I think the thing is, if you're bisexual, it doesn't automatically mean that you want to have like sexual romantic relationships with more than one person at a time. Correct. Right? Um, for a lot of people, they're very happy in, and it's a different thing. It's like a relational orientation versus your sexual orientation. So, but... For me, my sexual orientation is bisexual, but my relational orientation, that's something that you and I, being my relationship partner, like what we're deciding together. So it, I think just, that's, yeah. the, that's the exciting part of it too. Yeah. Like we don't really have a label for what we are, right? Yeah. And it may, and it, I think I expect that it will change over time. And what I liked about our journey is that because we were always open to it because this process has always been a development in, in the in, in the works and we communicated strongly about that is that you know when COVID hit and we weren't able to have those experiences with other people this wasn't something that you were anxious about or worried about fulfilling for yourself mm -hmm. like I never said we shouldn't do this and therefore we went out and we went through the difficult process of courting and going through the relationship routine with other people. And we, mm -hmm. we had that experience and we know what it is now. And yeah. so even though we don't get to do it, it's not like it means you're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. or, or it may not happen in the future. Like I think people get this all or nothing idea like, Oh well, you're bi, so you have to be in. You have there, or you're you, you're interested in non-monogamy, so you always have to have another person on the side, or there always mm -hmm. has to be something going on, and that's just way too much work. Yeah, well, and, and it, as I said before, it kind of it. I don't know if muddies the water is quite quite the right term, <laughs> but that's why I mean what you're getting at there is people can identify as polyamorous, they can identify as non-monogamous, but on the outside be look look like they're in a monogamous relationship mm -hmm. right and and that doesn't mean that you're 
less, you know, polyamorous <laughs> because you happen to be in a monogamous relationship right. right then. And that's the same thing with folks who are bisexual, though. I think that's where the fear, where that conflation comes from. It's like, you can't be sexually fulfilled unless you are having sex with multiple people. And it like, mm. bisexuality, pansexuality, you know, we can get into the semantics of all those different things. For me, it's not necessarily based on gender. Like, it's, it's based on people. But bisexuality is what what works for me but it's not like i have to be in a relationship with someone with a vulva and someone with a penis at the same time in order yeah. for me to feel sexually fulfilled as a bisexual Dude, that would be woman. so much work oh my god yeah. and for some people that totally like that works for them mm -hmm. but it's not like uh i'm no less bisexual because i'm married to you and that's something that people have a really hard time wrapping their heads around yeah, which is really interesting because I think that that is such an appealing idea. I know it's more complicated in reality because we've tried it and it is. <laughs> but I, I really loved the idea that if I was tired, <laughs> you know, or maybe we had just worked together in the house for months during a pandemic and, you know, you just wanted to go and be somewhere else for a little bit. That there would be an intimate partner somewhere that you could spend time with. Mm -hmm. Like that that idea that I don't have to fulfill all of your needs. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that is such a crutch that we get stuck on all the time. Is that like, I want this person to, to fulfill all of my life's aspirations in a partner. In every single way. They have to, you know, fuck me mm -hmm. as hard as I want, whenever I want. But they also need to cuddle me at all the right times and they need to be my intelligent you know philosophizing partner who like gets me through life but then also like supportive of my career mm -hmm. you know and like there for me and all of those milestones and be a good parent oh it'd like, be great if they were a good cook as yeah, well and are they, yeah. oh, and like was there an equitable distribution yeah. of like, household labor you yeah know, like i think it i think you're right it puts too much on a person and it's not like in any relationship, I feel like like romantic relationships, people are so interested in them. That's why you and I are doing this interview right now. People are in, are interested in other people's intimate relationships mm -hmm. because it teaches us about our own relationships. But it's also it's that it's that voyeurism. You're like, oh, how are they doing it? Because yeah. I really yeah. I want to know. But it comes down to no matter who you are and you're in these relationships, you can't have that kind of pressure on one person. Yeah. But you can't put that pressure on a person. You can't have that pressure on you because that's not sustainable. Like that, you are asking, it's like a recipe for disaster. And you and I were talking before, like I loved reading State of Affairs by Esther Perel. But I remember reading State of Affairs while like you and our girlfriend at the time, we were all sleeping in the bed together while I'm reading State of Affairs. And like having some kind of like existential moment because it wasn't it wasn't an affair it was something that was like ethically and very thoughtfully communicated between the group of us but how thinking about extramarital relationships it makes people uncomfortable it makes a lot of people uncomfortable i i, I couldn't finish that book oh yeah I, you started I didn't reading like it. it not the right time yeah, yeah i i didn't like reading that book because it just i don't know it's like that that movie with the guy from Star Wars oh, and the marriage. The, the divorce that ends. It was on Netflix. It was a beautiful movie. Beautiful but movie, but we it just... wept. You and I... It well, was so brutal because it just, like... It just paints the most atrocious devolving of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it shows 
the fragility of these things and just how incredibly important communication was and how mm -hmm. slippery the slope of miscommunication can get. Like, mm -hmm. it is such a terrible uh, thing that, like, miscommunication begets more miscommunication. Like, Absolutely. if you're angry about something that somebody said, you don't talk to them about it. And then that creates more instances for them to develop negative feelings towards you and then like this whole thing can just like blow out of proportion so massively mm -hmm. and i think that that's why non-monogamy for us was something i was very interested in because mm -hmm. we have very strong communication skills mm -hmm. and i think that that process of us finding someone attractive mutually mm -hmm going through the process of seducing or courting that person mm -hmm. mutually. Yeah. You know, essentially ethically. Yeah, yeah. And then like going through that whole process, it was so much work. It well, was, it was like a, for you and I, it was like a multi-year thing. Of, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's plan about it. What do we feel safe about? We're going to get STI testing. Yeah. And when we like start talking to a new partner, have they been tested? What yeah. are they interested in? What are they looking for? Like, it's not, that's why, oh, there's this great quote, I can't remember exactly what it says, about, you know, if you want to have sex with other people, like, that's, like, swinging, you know, mm. or just, like, going out and just fucking other people. Polyamory and, like, sensual monogamy, if you're into talking, that's what you do. Mm, like, you're not, yeah. you're not in it for the fucking, that'll maybe happen later down the line. You're yeah. in it for the communication first. Yeah. Because that's what has, that, that's the ethical component of it. Is that you're communicating throughout, and, and I think now that you know the idea of swinging mm. was like i think kind of what we thought we were getting into like we were like <laughs> it would be kind of fun to have sex with other people and then non-monogamy was what we got yeah, <laughs> and definitely. and and i think that that was actually good to do first i think yeah. that going through that process forced so much communication between us it forced so many conversations that we had put onto the back burner mm -hmm. and i think that going through that even even if you never had sex with another person even if you didn't even meet another person intimately the process of going on tinder or going on grinder or going on these Bumble apps or, or her or yeah whatever. whatever these apps are going through that process with your partner like you learn so much it's like oh you're interested in that kind of person oh you would want that sort of thing oh this is an interesting length like there's so many things that you learn about your partner when you're forced to like actually sit down and and you know put somebody else's time energy mm -hmm. and personal feelings on the line it's not just you two because you yeah. can get so comfortable as just you two you kind of float through and you know, things become lazy in a relationship, but you cannot be lazy when you yeah. involve somebody else in your relationship. Well, you need to be really aware, like Dan Savage calls it, your extra special guest for the mm. evening, right? And sometimes it depends. Like, is that a third that's just there for a sexual experience? Or, you know, and there's lots of different relationship makeups. You know, people, they have all equitable power amongst multiple people. Mm. But it's hard, especially because I think so often if there's a couple... They get so caught up in the fantasy that they forget there's a person there. Mm, like absolutely. a complex person who has feelings and desires and all of those things. And just needing to, the fact that you and I, if we had an experience and like one of us felt really vulnerable or emotional or triggered afterwards, 
we get to go home and talk about it and sit in our feelings and know that we have a partner who's going to be there with us. Yeah. And if you're just inviting someone in and then they don't have that same support thing or you're not providing that for them and you're having those conversations, then you're, you're like, what what happens to them if they're feeling vulnerable? So I think it, you know, like unicorn hunters or whatever and stuff like that. Like I think people forget about the unicorn themselves and how yeah. they're going to be feeling about it. That is, it's, I, I, that's why I don't think we've, gone down the the sort of like swinging casual hookups route is because a I, I, it, that's that's harder for us i don't think either of us are particularly like one night stand kind of like no hookup culture kind of people no, we both tried that before we started dating each other and, and we're, we're terrible we're at it so bad at yeah it. terrible <laughs> yeah i mean i think like we're good looking people definitely want to have sex with us but we're like oh emotionally if i'm not also there then yeah it's really hard it's not gonna do it for me well it's not actually that hard like it's no yeah it's physically soft yeah yeah no exactly (laughs) yeah or dry or yeah yeah, exactly like it's all of those things okay so there's there's a few things i want to ask you about as well so in terms of like me being bisexual throughout our relationship really for me that has been me focused on my like sexual attraction to um other women right like that's been a really big thing Mm. for me and i think when i first started talking to you about that i was like look like i've primarily had romantic relationships with men but it's really important for me to have a relationship with a woman with a non-binary person somebody who this is going to sound strange but somebody basically who who has a vulva that was something that i was really Mm. interested in but what would change if we were to explore a relationship with uh, someone with a penis or with another man? Like, how would that feel for you? Would that change the dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I think it does change the dynamic um, because I am straight. Yeah. I I really wanted to be gay. (laughs) Honestly, I can think of nothing better than being a bisexual man. That would be tremendous. Like yeah, as a sidebar, people who are bisexual, men who are bisexual, be proud about that. There are yeah. a lot of people who wanted to date and be with bisexual like men and folks with penises. Like I only know two openly bisexual men, just Joe Lee and yeah. his partner Ryan. And they are blips in a queer spectrum that seems to be totally vibrant. But the bi men community is like non-existent well this is like a buyer razor thing in general like we've had i want to hear more about your thoughts on this but i want to briefly say (laughs) that for people who are bisexual even though bisexual individuals make up the largest percentage of the lgbtq plus community the largest percentage of the queer community are bisexual Hmm. except we have the least representation because what we see especially in popular culture what you see at pride parade you'll see um gay men you'll see lesbians and absolutely and but it's we're seen as fence sitters. We're like, oh, well, you're right. either a straight person who's trying to be edgy or you're actually gay, but you just haven't figured it out mm-hmm. yet. And I'm just here to tell anyone who is bisexual, is thinking about their sexuality, that bisexuality, pansexuality, it's real. We're here. Mm-hmm. There's lots of us. And so you have a place at the table in the queer community. So don't let people tell you that like, oh, you're just actually gay. You know, like right. if you are, that's fantastic. And for a lot of people, that is a part of their journey, thinking that they're bisexual and then finding out later that they are uh, queer, lesbian, gay, whichever. But I just don't, I don't want it to be seen as like a, 
this is a gateway drug to becoming queer. You are queer already if you're bisexual. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a weird thing that humans do. Like the, like being bi doesn't have a dress code. No. You know, but like I, I'm stereotyping here, but like there's a dress code for gay men, you know? There's, Depending on, yeah. And yeah, you can be right. gay and not dress that way. But, you know, like no, if somebody we said- have social cues. Right? What does a bi man look like? You'd be like- a gay man but with slightly worse dressing patterns he doesn't like, have a good haircut yeah like what like uh, the, yeah. like we don't have visual cues for bisexuality and and that's yeah. i think that's actually great i think that that's what's lovely about you and your representation of this queerness is that it's not overt mm-hmm. there's no statement being made it's I exist and I've made a choice and I didn't I didn't have some kind of uh, pressure to look in a certain way in order to fulfill that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's trying to be like just the the fact that I exist and I'm bisexual, that's the statement. Yeah, and I think that that's how we're going to see male bisexuality evolve is like Mm. Joe doesn't like look gay per se him and ryan don't have uh, an overtly they don't you know, fit like the the gay male stereotype no and right? and joe even made a, a an episode on his youtube channel about why he didn't come out mm. and it's very interesting because the bi male representative doesn't come out mm. isn't that fascinating like well it, it's one of those things too where like if you're coming out it feels like it needs to be like a statement and a lot of people think mm-hmm. it needs to be like a big dramatic thing and i'm kind of torn i'm half and half like more people who like come out as in like they're open about who they are in the world then that's just better representation and people right. realize that queer people we grow up in all families we grow up in all religions and all countries around the world but at the same time it's like well you know you have to do what's gonna work for you like mm-hmm. you're none of your straight children or people in the world need to like come out and be straight like exactly. do you remember ever having to be like demonstrably like i am straight sitting down with your parents and being like i want you to know mom and dad i'm heterosexual there's nothing you can do about it i hope you still love me no, but I grew up in a very conservative town and I had to prove that I wasn't gay. That's true. That, that was, was a big... That, isn't that such an interesting <laughs> thing too? It's like, I'm not going to prove to you that I'm heterosexual. I had to prove <laughs> to you that I'm not this thing because there's so much fear around that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have... I sadly had a number of girlfriends in high school, not explicitly to deter rumors that I was gay, but I, I was aware that my... Uh, role within the high school was uh, questioned and right. so having a girlfriend was a good alibi yeah absolutely the, the, just purely for the fact that you were involved in theater yep yeah and I and I wasn't a tough tough guy I mean I'm extremely tough but like <laughs> um, coming back to uh, the the point of having a man in our relationship mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm open to it because I, I think that vulnerability requires reciprocation in a relationship. Mm. Like, if you want to try anal, you have to be at least kind of open to receiving it as well. You got to be open to that you know, conversation. Yeah, you got you to gotta be willing to play ball 
in whatever court you've decided to take the relationship. Remember I told you the day from Dan Savage? You need to be GGG. Good, giving, and game. So that's kind of yeah. the thing, right? If you're going to ask, you have that, a bit of a reciprocity there. Good, giving, and game. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I, I think that that's where I come at this from mm. because I've tried. I really have tried. Like, I look at men and I'm like, yeah, sexy man over there with his arms and I, and my brain's just like dude this is not working like I'm like i really i wish so much because i think that that would be an exciting sexual experience i feel like that would be uh fulfilling in some ways i feel like it would be exciting i feel like you would find it awesome like why not like it's all the things that i would love to see but i'm not attracted to men yeah sadly uh <laughs> <laughs> you know this is your coming out story You're yeah like, i'm not bisexual i know and it's... Uh, i have definitely like bi wife energy mm-hmm. but i i am not a bisexual myself That's i would love I, I i still think that i would be open to you know a, a, a man being somehow involved in our relationship in some way um but i think it's gonna really have to be like an in the moment thing like i just Mm. don't know it's so foreign to me and it was Mm. never a part of my like i never questioned my sexuality he never had like an experimental phase where like you know let people talk about in you know college or you never went to that stereotypical like i mean i think we all had penises when we were young you know and there was some like (laughs) stupid boy stuff with penises and locker rooms or whatever i mean fair you're all like wow look i have this thing and like you also have this thing amazing but i also played hockey growing up so it might have just been that (laughs) i mean also not a very like queer inclusive space yeah but like weirdly homoerotic yeah very homoerotic lots of homoerotic but a lot of like no homo here and you're like (laughs) wow this is uh like toxic yeah very strange yeah i think i had a lot of men who were attracted to me Mm-hmm. and and usually that ended in violence really weirdly like i had i got into a, a lot of physical altercations that reflecting back on it now had a lot of really aggressive sexual energy behind them mm. and i i don't think i recognized that at the time but i think that that was probably what was going on I think having that kind of awareness when you're like 16 or 17, I mean, I don't blame you for not really realizing it until like later, but yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but that is so true, right? Like in how many like coming out stories or stories about like young queer men or gay, like, you know, Mm. uh, folks with penises, they're, they're, you know, coming of age stories quite often have violent, not, you know, quite often, but they do have violence in Mm. them sometimes. And it's from that fear of not being seen as masculine you know that i'm using bunny here's people but not seeing as a real like man and so Mm -hmm. you need to assert that in all of these different ways and so it just it just makes me so sad because you and i have talked about how like the the society and the patriarchal system that we live in like patriarchal and colonial it's it's not good for any of us like obviously there's huge disparity in how people are changed and in how people are treated and it's very inequitable but it's a system that like even as a cis white heterosexual man you are subject to violence because you're not man enough you need to mm-hmm. be seen as the ultimate 
Um, you know, you need to fulfill all these things. And if you don't fulfill them, somebody will like enact violence upon you to try and make you fit that mold. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And honestly, like I'm realizing this live in this conversation, like this is not something that I've even kind of reflected on because I have all the privileges of my life to not have to worry about it. Um, but this is probably a part of why I am why why i've kind of erased men from my brain as a sexual option mm. because there is so much performance in the male world and it is so hard for men to have genuine interactions positive uh intimacy that mm. isn't sexual between men it's such a hard place for most dudes to exist that mm. Honestly, the idea of trying to bridge that gap and then even go further into intimacy sounds exhausting. And and maybe that's because I didn't have uh, a lot of gay representation in my hometown. Like, I you had your uncle. I have my uncle was gay, and he was uh, a pretty spectacularly gay farmer in a conservative small town and he was the only one who really broke the mold mm -hmm. and he's like there's too much context for this podcast but <laughs> he's an insanely electric human being and yeah, i think him as a representative of the gay community for me was like oh my god <laughs> they're like wow the barrier to entry <laughs> my goodness like this guy's hosting elaborate art shows on his farm and lighting enormous uh, fires in the middle of the woods to celebrate my mom's 40th birthday. Like, it's not a simple image for me when I was mm -hmm. growing up. So I don't know. It's it's something that I'm open to because I feel like I have so much privilege and so much bandwidth that um, most straight men don't mm -hmm. that I just feel like it's, I feel like it's good to keep that door open. Like, why not? I think learning that vulnerability, I think, is really important, regardless if you have a sexual relationship with another man. But remember you and I having these conversations, how even with your close friends, that emotional intimacy, that was something that has been so socialized for folks with vulvas, like being able to like be vulnerable and like like physically intimate with, you know, with other women is something that I've just been able to do my whole life because mm. that's, that's been socially acceptable, right? But for you like i remember you telling me it wasn't until you were in your like mid-20s that you were able to like sit down and have conversations with your friends of being like i'm really concerned about this or let's talk about when you said this it created this tension in our relationship like being able to be that vulnerable with another man has taken a lot of work and i would say that that was largely because i went to uh theater school yes <laughs> i was i was in a very progressive liberal environment with performers mm -hmm. people who are actively working to professionalize their emotional range mm -hmm. we were all trying to suffer and experience <laughs> and share that with each other that was why we were there yeah. and yeah like some of my first conversations about uh, you know, divorce in a friend's family and those things happened, uh, you know, in university. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, they were probably not even, of course, they weren't fully fledged sort of um, affairs, but they were, they were interesting moments where I was like, 
Huh. Dudes can talk about this kind of stuff. <laughs> we can talk intimately about these things. That's that's insane. Yeah, right? hard to believe. So I have a couple of questions that callers have sent in to me, and I think I want you to have a go at answering them. Okay, as a professional. As absolutely, but I, <laughs> I think it'll be great. I am here to to help you along. You you live with a sexual health educator. Literally behind Levi right now is my like wooden it's my woody where i do condom demonstrations on there's a couple bottles of lube over there all for professional reasons <laughs> <laughs> so one of them um actually they commented on one of your videos and they said i recently identified as bi sorry this is coming from a woman um and they said what advice would you offer me i have little experience with women i find women as attractive as men mm, congrats what an awesome little realization that's mm -hmm. like getting a christmas present but it's not a present it's like a gift card and so you know <laughs> you like spend it wherever yeah you exactly want. you're excited you're like oh cool possibility but like now i have to do the hard work of deciding what i want hmm. um i i think that bisexuality is a, a a great medium to be in because there's no immediate risk to your happiness like i think if mm. you realize that you were gay and there was like previous relationships that you had or were in and you know there was like an expectation from your parents that you might need to address there's there's you know immediate things that might need to take place for you to feel fulfilled but like with bisexuality you you can take a more organic stepping stone approach to discovering what you really like there's mm. there's no script there's no coming out process necessary in any moment like that but like you know you can take your bisexual time with it you know you can you can uh, talk to friends who you know might understand your circumstance and mm. uh you know you can tiptoe your way in yeah i know it's it's interesting like i i agree and disagree with you I, I agree on terms of, you know, ab absolutely, no matter who you are, take your time to figure out what that's going to look like. I'm going to ask you for a bit of, like, advice in terms of flirting and courting women because I am not great at it. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. I don't have a lot. I don't have as much experience as you <laughs> no, do. So, you, no, I know, I know. I It's so, yeah. But, um, but I will say that in terms of a, a lot of folks that... Yeah, that in terms of like coming out, there's a real, it's hard there because a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I'm gay, it's like this big thing and I have to tell everyone about it and I mm. have to have this coming out story. But same thing with people who are gay, like you can tiptoe your way into it. You can do whatever you need right. to do. And people who are bisexual, you can be like, I'm bi and I'm proud and I'm going to wear that flag. I'm not going to lie. It's not my favorite flag. You know, the bi flag. No, it doesn't look very good. No, it doesn't look good. I'd rather, I'd just choose the rainbow myself. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd just go there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I, I just think that, I guess for me, it's trying to hold bisexuality as queer as being mm -hmm. gay or lesbian. Oh, you mean like own it. Like don't, own it. Yeah, don't, exactly. don't like minimize the experience. Totally. I, the, think, I think yeah. there's just so much, like I think probably I'm speaking from my own uh, insecurity about being like, oh, I'm not queer enough. And I right. think especially as like a femme, cisgender bisexual, like I, I just feel that I'm, I don't represent as queer enough. And I'm just mm -hmm. trying to like hold that space for other people to say, you don't, you don't need a stamp of approval from someone in the queer community to be like, you are queer. Like 
Yeah. You are queer. You know that about yourself. Yeah. But it's also your job to hold space for other queer people and to yeah. to make the world a bit safer. And and I think that process of becoming, you know, like your progression um, as as a queer woman has been gradual. And Absolutely. when we got married, I knew that you were bi, but we had never had a conversation about how we were going to expand the relationship in any way. Yeah. We did not talk about your impending relationships with women. We didn't Like, we have... knew that was, like, going to happen, but we hadn't fully got into, like, yeah. the details. You know, so it's been, like, years. Mm -hmm. Years of processing this and, and coming up with what we thought was important and safe and valuable and, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, don't feel like if the next person you're attracted to is someone of the opposite gender that you failed in being bisexual. Exactly. If you happen like, to be, like you said, you're equally attracted to yeah. men and women, that just means, oh man, how exciting for you. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I find that great. It's okay, an opportunity. So, absolutely. Okay, so as a bisexual woman who's not great at right. showing my interest in, in other women or folks with vulvas, what is your advice? Like, how do you even... <laughs> I mean, it's different from like, you know, yeah, a cis I, man to a cis woman, but like, how do you flirt? Um, I don't know. I, I the, so I think this largely depends on who you are and what kind of role you play generally. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm the boisterous, uh, loud white guy. And so I know what cards work for my book. Right. And it, pro I don't know, I've never tried it on a man, but I would imagine that if somebody's going to be attracted to that kind of energy, they're going to be into that. Um, so I think representing yourself as honestly as possible is mm -hmm. is going to work the best. And if you are kind of a timid first timer, there's somebody out there who's going to find that really attractive. Yeah. And I think totally. transparency about that is going to be your best option. I think transparency and honesty in where you are and who you are is probably going to get you laid the fastest. Yeah. Well, it's also going to be the way that that you are going to get what you want from that experience mm -hmm. and the like person or people who you're going to have the experience with, they're going to get what they want. Yeah. And I think that's been really hard too. Like I'm someone who is insanely earnest. So I'm trying to like cultivate that and how I would flirt with people if I were to actually say, I find you really attractive. I, I really like you. To just say that... Like, that's an incredibly vulnerable thing to say. But for me, oh, that's so hot. Can you imagine if someone actually said that? Like, it's all of those things that I get so afraid to say myself. But being the one to say it and just be, like, really transparent of, like, you know, I just figured out I'm bisexual, but I find you really attractive. And in, and this is, I'm going to steal one more Dan Savage-ism for this, but you invite the no. Like, you mm -hmm. say to that person, you know, um, if we just want to be friends, I'm so sorry if you're not interested in this at all, like... I just, I find you really attractive. I'd love for us to get to know each other, you know, on a more romantic or sexual or whatever level. Yeah. But like, want you to know that I'm not going to be weird about it if you say no. Like, we're adults here. That's totally cool. Yeah, I, I think the queer community is very good at um, making spaces comfortable for folks. Like, I don't think that the, you know, straight heterosexual community would, well, there isn't really so much of a community i guess is the it's point just, it's like, just like the world yeah like you show up in you know a gay bar and you say hi everyone i figured out i'm bi um does somebody want to talk to me 15 hands are gonna go up 
like yeah. there there's there's so many people that have been through this experience who are going to be willing to share or at least commiserate mm -hmm. in that with you so um yeah just be be open and fun about it Okay, I'm going to give you one more question. I'm really interested to see what you, because uh, oh, no. I have my own idea on what the mind advice would be. Oh, God. So, someone sent me this on Instagram the other day. And they said, I found my son masturbating. and He is <laughs> age 12. What should I do? What action should I take? Wow. God, I haven't had to envision myself as an adult with a child. But you have been a 12-year-old boy mm. before. Yeah. And did you masturbate when you were 12? I don't have a date specifically, but... But you did probably, masturbate when you were young. Probably in that yeah. time frame, yeah. Um, she caught him? Yeah. It, all, it, all it said was, I found my son masturbating. My main Ooh. question is, was he in his room? Yeah. If he was in his room with his door closed, <laughs> yeah. that's your bad. You shouldn't yeah. have opened the door. Or yeah. even if, like, he was in, like, the bathroom with the door closed, those are two perfectly fine places to masturbate. But, like, yeah. if he was sitting on the living room couch, like, Yeah, yeah, there's 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 places where that would give this a lot more context and, and meaning. Um, yeah, I don't know if I had the conversation at that time in my life i think mm -hmm. i had a preliminary conversation before it was kind of real for me right and um i think that that's such a hectic time that a conversation needs to be had probably a number of times and from a number of different places like i think teenagers are dumb and <laughs> their brains are doing a lot of growing remember i told you about like the, the some sort of lobe in their brains it's like the same size as like sociopaths oh yeah that's good yeah because that's they have like in terms of that like empathy and thinking about other people right. that isn't fully developed until you're like 25 yeah so i mean you're gonna be the annoying mom who keeps bringing up this awkward subject um but i think that that's like incredibly important i also think that like recommending some kind of uh professional or institutional support would be great either therapy or um, you know, like going to a sexual health clinic or, or something to get resources, you know, in order to, to help this young man on his journey. Uh, because I, I think there's so little communication out there that is authentic and supportive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, porn is grotesque uh, for a young man to see. Like I saw my first porn clip and I remember crying because I found it so graphic. Mm. And, you know, now I masturbate to that normally. But, like, it, back then, like, it's such a jarring world. And mm -hmm. it's so aggressive. And Well, it's designed to lead you to watch more and more. Yeah. To, to shock you more and more. Yeah, so right? I, I to think lead you down. some kind of conversation just to even say hey so masturbating's dope you can do that it's great um porn isn't real mm -hmm. just even that even if you just got that across as many times as physically possible it, like i can't tell you how worried i am about my future children and their access to porn online like it's nauseating honestly mm -hmm. to think about like how dangerous that wormhole can be 
when there is all sorts of like beautiful ethical consensual porn that's they're out not there, on Pornhub, but they're not on Pornhub. I mean, sure there are like some, but like if this is your first foray into like you seriously oh. look up big boobs online yeah. i don't know what who knows what this 12 year old what they were masturbating to but there's lots of options lots of options and yeah. i think you know as a parent um you need to become like media literate you need to know how to steer yeah. them in the right direction and even if you're uncomfortable having that conversation like going to resources like scarletine.com depending yeah. on where you live hopefully there's a sexual health clinic yeah. but you know even here in bc or across canada there's options for sexual health we literally have a line that you can call them and you will talk to a, like a trained sexual educator who will answer your questions you could call them together yeah to have that question i mean it might be really awkward for that person i think also um you're a mom and uh you know maybe you have a partner who's also a mom or a dad and you're the biased viewpoint that they probably want to hear the least yeah. um we love big mouth uh big uh, mouth is fantastic sexual education uh no sex ed yeah se it's called sex education yeah, these on are netflix. there's yeah. amazing resources out there vox has a series on netflix um all about sex yeah sex explained and these are just resources that can provide so much needed context for this very difficult and challenging time. And you can give it like, you know, it's like mandated screen time. It's like, hey, mm -hmm. look, like I don't want you on your phone at the dinner table, but after dinner, you can go and watch Big Mouth, Sex Ed, or Sex Explained on Netflix. These are all options. They're all on Netflix. They're all available to you. And I want you to watch the whole series. Yeah. And it's not going to be hard because it's a freaking great show. Yeah. All of them really great. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's great. You know, I the thing that I really appreciate about your answer, Levi, is your commitment to you're not just having one talk with your kid. Talking about yeah. your bodies. Hopefully that starts like basically as soon as they understand language in some yeah. form, yeah, whatever that is. There should be conversations of this is your body. These are the actual names of your genitals. And then throughout their lives, you're having multiple conversations. Because like, I have an entire podcast dedicated to sex ed because there's so much to talk about. Like, yeah. uh, we could have these conversations endlessly. And we haven't even talked about, you know, consent. What does that look like? How do you, you know what I was talking to someone the other day? I would love to have like a workshop when I'm talking to kids about what does a good kiss look like and feel like? Because mm -hmm. what, what like, you're not told how to do that. Totally. My, I was telling the story the other day of my first French kiss. It was terrible. Like I literally had to like wipe my arm across my mouth afterwards because it, it was, was a mess. Oh, just why don't we wet. have like lessons about how like like it sounds so weird, but like to help young people, like this is where the clitoris is circular motions feel great <laughs> that's where omg yes but this isn't for young people it's designed for adults right but, but like we you have to have we, those conversations yeah like why why is making sex good never a part of the conversation why is it like we either have to stop the sex from happening or if it does happen we need to make sure that stis and pregnancy does not occur it's like yeah but like they're gonna do it anyway why don't you make it less weird yeah just hopefully just make, make it better, it better. Just yeah. come on. I feel you.
Wow, uh, this does not make me want a 12-year-old. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, thankfully, it doesn't go from, like, us not having kids to, like, having a... I guess if we adopted, that literally could yeah, happen. Yep, that would okay, literally... Okay, no, I literally said that, and then I changed yeah. my mind. That could happen. Um, we will do it together, regardless. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. So, anything that you want to share, like, and hopefully we're going to make a whole TikTok about bi-wife energy, but what, is, what does bi-wife energy mean to you? Oh my God. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think by wife energy is a great trend. First of all, mm -hmm. love it on TikTok. So it's good. great for just like the community at large. Um, I think for, for me individually as a person, selfishly, um, the, the by wife energy is a, a responsibility to your significant other to be open and hold space for that person. Because I think, all too often, the man sort of leads in the relationship by stereotype. Um, and this Cree is sort of like, I don't know, mandated. And and I am an ideal candidate for that scenario. I'm loud, I'm boisterous, and I tend to take up a lot of space. And the bi-wife energy is a celebration of the wife, of you. And, and I have to recognize and you know, take conscious effort to make sure that your energy is being represented and celebrated in our relationship. That was great. <laughs> you want to go celebrate my bi-wife energy? <laughs> I want you to go celebrate my energy. I mean, first that means lunch, but then we can do other things later. I'd love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. As always, if you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send a voice message to me on Instagram at dr.leahtidy. I want to hear your questions and your voice on the podcast, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. And even if you don't send in a question, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, hey, leave a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.